believer. And God used him as a sold-out believer. So you have Saul, who was a stumbling block, and you got Philip, who's a sold-out believer. God used both of them. Let's pick back up at verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, let me pause just real quick and make a comment there. Because geographically, if you know, if you remember the map, if you've been here and remember the map, you'll see Jerusalem and where's Samaria? Up, above. Wait a second, didn't it say he went down to the city of Samaria? It means an elevation, okay? Because sometimes people get hooked up, you know, they get, they get hung up on little things like that, and they go, see, the Bible, the Bible is inconsistent. And they say, look, the Bible even doesn't even realize that you go, go down to, you know, uh, Samaria, you go up to Samaria. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about at all. It's talking about elevation, not north and south. So he is literally heading down the, to the city of Samaria. Verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now we'll pause there and let's look at Philip for a moment here because I want you to see that Philip, uh, by the way, this is not Philip the Apostle. This is Philip the deacon. If you remember, um, with Stephen and others, they, they, they chose seven men to serve in this role of deacon, to serve in the capacity of, of ministering to some of the widows. And Philip was listed among those. Now, why is, this, why is that important? To make the distinction that this is not, uh, not the apostle. Well, first of all, the apostles, were stay, they stayed in Jerusalem. They told us that in scripture that that the apostles didn't travel just yet but philip is traveling so he's not one of the apostles right and so admittedly when we consider this uh i want you to i want you to look at this that philip not being the apostle and instead being a deacon why is that important because i want you to see philip as a regular guy you might say well the disciples were regular guys and that's true but by this point, they had risen to an almost celebrity status, right? I mean, the, the, the apostles had a certain recognition about them at this point. And I want you to see that even, a, even setting that aside, Philip, Philip was just a regular guy. And Philip was a regular guy who served in his church and served the widows of his church and he wasn't afraid to talk about Jesus. That's what he did. That's what he was known for. He, was, he would just tell people about Jesus. So, I wonder, I wonder for us, what makes it hard sometimes for us to talk about Jesus to others? What is it that, what is it that gets in our way? What, what slows us down? What prevents us from from talking with others about Jesus. You know, sometimes I wonder if we censor ourselves in fear of what others might think. You know, sometimes it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to say anything because they might think this of me. Or they might think, I don't know what they think. So, because your fear of what someone else might think or what they might 
do, we do what? Self-censor. I think that's one of the greatest hindrances to the spread of the gospel is our own censorship of ourselves, that we stop ourselves, we prevent ourselves from talking about Jesus because we are concerned with what others might be thinking or might do or might say. You know, sometimes, sometimes we censor ourselves because we might be fearful of, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? And, and the, the, the best advice that I could give for that would be the example that I see in John chapter 9, and it's a man that was born blind. Because he was being interrogated by some religious leaders, and his response was spot on, and it's really good advice for us. The, the religious leaders were accusing this man born blind, and they're like, you know, admit it, that Jesus is, Jesus is a sinner. And here's how he responded. He was like, look, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't, I don't know. In other words, he just, just said flat out, I don't have all the answers. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know a ton about him. And then, he, and then he flipped it on his head. He says, there's one thing I do know. I used to be blind. Now I see. That's great, a great model for us. Sometimes, you know, we get, we get so caught up and so fearful of, well, what if they ask me a question about dinosaurs and I don't know the answer to it, right? What if they ask me a question about the age of the earth and I don't know the answer? What if they ask me a question about end times and I don't know the answer to it? What if they ask me a question about transubstantiation and I don't understand the answer to it? I don't even know what the question was, right? What? Right? What do, you, what do you do? Most of the time in those conversations, here's what we can do. Well, I don't, I don't know. I can barely pronounce transubstantiation. But one thing I do know, I used to be this way, and then when I met Jesus, I became this way. I used to do this, and then Jesus came into my life, and now I do this. You know, I still struggle, I still stumble, and I mess up every now and then, but oh, my heart's with Jesus. And you know, I used to be this way, and I used to live for these things. Now I don't live for those things anymore. Now I, I live for Jesus. I once was this way, I now was this, I'm now I'm this way. And, and it's a great model for us. And if, we, if we're just concerned about the questions that we might be hit with, uh, take comfort in knowing that it's okay to say, look, I don't know. I don't know all the answers. I don't know what... And, and uh, just like the man born blind, I don't know everything about Jesus. All I know is, I used to, I used to be blind. I can see now there's something special about Jesus. You know, Philip, um, Philip went to an unlikely place, Samaria, and took the gospel to an unlikely people group. Samaritans and what did they do they listened and not only did they listen they accepted they accepted Christ you know not everyone is called to be an apostle not everybody's called to be a preacher but you know what God can use people like Philip a guy who's just serving in his church not afraid to talk about Jesus and God can use somebody like that God can use somebody who's not afraid to talk about Jesus and he'll use them to reach an entire group of people. 
And so many people came to Christ as a result of Philip's obedience. My question for us, my question for you is what would it take to motivate you? What would it take to motivate you to simply talk with someone about Jesus? I mean, what would that motivation look like? I mean, what would it take, you know, if this happened, what, what would it take? What motivation do you need to just say, you know what? I shouldn't be just concerned about the, the what ifs or the questions that I might get. In fact, when I ask that question, what motivates you to simply talk with someone about Jesus? Here's, here's what I know. I want to point this out. Some of you already know your motivation, and you already have in mind someone that you can talk to about Jesus. In fact, when I said that, some of you were thinking about a particular person or a particular situation. You're going, yeah, consider this, that that's the Holy Spirit already prompting you to take action. That that's the Holy Spirit saying, you already know who, you already know when. Talk with them about Jesus. Talk with them. So if you don't know what to say, here's a quick refresher. This is super helpful. The gospel consists of four themes. We see it throughout scripture. It's the theme of the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we see these four themes. We see them in the meta-narrative. We see it in the details. It's over and over and over. Creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. That's the Bible and four themes. Creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, why is that important? When you're talking with someone about Jesus, it's important because you can just simply begin with creation and say, you know what? Did you know that you were created in the image of God? That makes you unique. It makes you unique from any other creation of God. Anything else that he created, it makes you different from the animals. It makes you different from the trees. It makes you different from anything else in all of creation because he created you in his image. And what does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us several things. But one of those is that it, it means that we are created to reflect the righteousness and holiness of God. That he has put his mark on us. He has put his image upon us. And that we are to reflect him in character. That we are to look like, when people look at me, they should see Jesus. They should see a reflection of Jesus. And that is a way that I can reflect the image of God within me is so that others could do that. But here's the problem. The fall. The second theme of the gospel is the fall. My question would be, how, how good are we at doing that? And the answer is what? Not that good, right? We're, we're terrible at it. Why can we not reflect the holiness and righteousness of God? Well, because of sin. We have sin in our life. And that sin has prevented us from being able to do that, to have a relationship with God and to be able to reflect who he is. So we begin with creation, then we recognize the fall, and we recognize the sin in our life has separated us from God, and in that separation, it prevents us from being able to have a relationship with him. It prevents us from being able to, to point other people to him. But the good news is that that third theme is redemption. God sent his son Jesus to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with him. And that redemption happened because of Jesus on the cross. He came and died, uh, died a cruel death, and bore our sin in our place. A substitution for, for our, the punishment that should have been ours was upon him. And he bore that. And what in so doing, he redeemed us and brought us back into relationship with him. 
so that we can do what? We can now begin to share the gospel, and we can now reflect God's righteousness. We can now reflect his holiness, not because of what is in us, but because of Christ in us, not because of anything in our own doing, but because he dwells within me, you know, then we can do those things. We can reflect God. And here's the great news. The fourth theme of the gospel is restoration. He didn't just redeem us and then leave us. He said, I'm leaving you with a helper, and that's the Holy Spirit, and he works within us to restore us and to, so that every single day we can be conformed to the image of Christ and can become more and more like him in character and more like him in his righteousness and in his holiness and in his, we can reflect him better because our own righteousness is terrible. Our own righteousness, as Paul said, is as filthy rags. Our own righteousness is not worth standing on. But when Christ is within us, so if we can remember those four things, creation, the fall, redemption, restoration, we'll know what to talk about. We can know how to talk with people. We can talk about creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration, how God desires to have a relationship with people. Not only that, sometimes I hear people say, well, what if, what if they want to accept Christ? I don't know how to lead them in prayer. Listen, if you can remember creation, the fall, redemption, restoration, then you know how to lead them in prayer, too. Here's what I mean by that. Did you know that just leading someone in prayer, helping them understand a prayer of confession, a prayer that brings them in relationship with God and, and gives voice to that, is a reflection of the gospel. God, thank you for making me and loving me and creating me in your image. Even though I messed it up. I messed things up and I've sinned in my life and I ask you to forgive me. And I thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I ask you, to Lord, to help me to understand it even more. That's the gospel. That's all it is. You know, is, is, does the prayer save you? No. The gospel saves you. But what is the prayer? Is a reflection of the gospel. That's what it is. It's a reflection of the gospel. It's saying, I understand, God, that I need you in my life. So what can God use? God can use people like Philip. God can use people like you and me to do incredible things for the kingdom and glory of God. So Philip was a sold-out believer, and God used him for his glory.